Borak Dong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 10th episode of Space Spinner Reaction. I guess really try to <laughs> make sense to the UK's own classic comic action, three issues at a time. This episode, we're covering action for August and September 1976, issues 28 to 30. This episode, Blackjack gets his man, Death Game gets recruiting, both Hellman and Hookjaw get blown up, and Dredger gets dead, but only for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Besides the regular action, this episode, we've got a special guest host, David Renane of Where Eagles Dare and Beyond the Sofa. Hello. Hello, Conrad. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. We had we we had Peter from Where Eagles Dare on last time. Happy to get the other half of the show on here as well. I appreciate you guys coming on separately because it means I could get more episodes out of uh, out of the same set of guests. Oh, that's that's good. <laughs> Although I must preemptively apologize to both you and the listeners uh, due to work commitments and the fact I've got a bit of a cold. I've not done the amount of um, storyboard write up I would normally do. So unfortunately, you're in the chair. I'm sorry for that. Oh, it's fine. I'm sure you know the every you know. Like any any level of spectation for action is great, just because I think we can all just get in there. And once the once the heads start exploding, it's everybody's on on equal standing. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and and but, boy, do we uh, have some heads exploding tonight? Yeah, several, ridiculous. But 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 before we get started, I want to ask um, both how things are going with your guys's podcast, Where Eagles Dare, and then if you have any memories of the of action comic from of of, of the action comic from back when it was actually like alive. Um, uh, uh, alive and being published. We have, well, with regards to Where Eagles Dare, I think Peter probably mentioned it last time, we've just finished the the photo stories arc of the run of the 80s Eagle. So we're in this big transition where everything turns into a drawn strip comic book a la action, a la 2000 AD. And so it's a bit of a game changer, a bit of a, a head changer, because we also then jump from big photograph panels into more uh, shorter compact three-page stories so it's you don't realize the difference until you've got to look at something like action or the change in eagle or 2000 ad as to how much that changes the flow of things it's it's quite interesting and yeah may you live in interesting times as the as the chinese (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yeah i mean i i found it to be a big difference just between action and 2000 ad just in terms of how long stories are how much happens on an individual page Mm. and and uh and 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 just how how the storytelling between the the two are different and i can only imagine it's the same when going from photo strips which necessarily are a little bigger to um to just drawn strips yeah and there's also possibly a bit of a stylistic change as well i Mm. uh, we haven't quite covered it yet but there is a point where I believe they start tailoring Eagle to be an entry level into something like 2000 AD rather than a a parallel to it. Hmm. Um, But again, that's mostly my recollections of the time. So it'd be interesting to see if, if that memory holds true. Yeah, very interested to see that. I, I, I love Where Eagles Dare. I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked to just see you guys continue down the path. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, and then I was going to ask, do you have any memories of this original action uh, uh, series from back in the day? I think Peter said you might have. So I'm, well, I'm, I'm interested to hear people who actually read original action. F- funnily enough, I when I was very young, well, maybe about, well, it must have been before I was seven, because that would be when it closed, allowing for the slow boat to New Zealand. I would have got, one day when I was sick, a post-ban copy of Action, just uh-huh. to keep this kick, sick kid quiet. And the only thing I can remember about it vaguely is the Hills Highway story. So 
I had had an experience of action, but not the the heady days of heads exploding and and uh, <laughs> all sorts of things. And but but I suspect, like you, when I got into I got into two thousand AD and listening to things like uh, sorry, reading things like that, um, you delve into the history of it and you just find all these references to this thing called action, which you can vaguely remember hearing about for years. And so when I got a chance, I was able to get hold of a copy of Action, A History of a Violent Comic. But that only highlights Hooked Your Death Game and something that's coming up, which I'm really looking forward to your coverage of. But I, I'd read about it when it came out, and always it's always intrigued me since then. So um, in the wonderful modern age of, of uh, finding stuff you could no longer possibly find on the webs, that's what I did. Um, and it just very interesting to read it because as you say it's very stylistic very stylistically very different from anything you'd read now and from what i remembered reading generally when i was a kid but mm. but you were also reading it in a collected form so you can just whiz through rather than wait a week between you know heads exploding yeah it's such a different thing i get i'm still i still struggle with that with like modern 2000 ad and having to wait a week as opposed to just powering through like you know a dozen issues in one sitting or something like that or one well, a, one long afternoon yes if you do the prog, prog slog you, you just get this really everything just whizzes by especially the 90s um i was fortunate enough to be stuck on a farm while I was doing the prod slog through the nineties, <laughs> and as a result, I was getting about a year's worth done a day. Which, um, but but you still don't remember things like half of Bad City Blue and things like that. I mean, I'll tell you, like that, that's definitely been something that I've been noticing as we've been going through. Is there are definitely like you know I've read up to the first thousand or so progs, but we're definitely hitting moments where there's comics that I just sort of you know paged through but didn't really pay attention to the first time. Mm. It's in, you know the 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 fun thing about the sh these shows is being able to really get in depth even with things that maybe wouldn't catch your interest automatically. Oh, you have to be careful though, because then all the seams start to show. Possibly, I mean, yeah, it's true. Like you get a sense of like, ooh, like some of these are just sort of we're just filling some space here. But you know, I mean, hey, speaking of stories, of the beast. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh man! Hey, speaking of everybody working together as a collective, um, or and then being killed by Germans, I guess. But it's story one: Helmet of Hammer Force. Everybody's favorite German. Uh, yeah, he's okay, I guess. Uh, <laughs> writer Jerry Finley Day, um, artist Mike Dory. It's July 1943, and Major Kurt Hellman of Hammer Force is leading his Panzer Brigade through the Eastern Front. Mm. Um, now, last time with Peter, you guys were joking along there about uh, bumping into vampires. Indeed. Ex Sorry, uh, no. two th 2000 AD editor uh, David Bishop did a series of spin-off novels of the Fiends of the Eastern Front, and one of them, it's been a long time since I read them, was about a German tank platoon Ooh. taking on the, the Fiends. So <laughs> your your jokes are not far off the... I mean, it's so hard not to. Like, you know, you read all these stories, it becomes real, it becomes so... I was, I, I, I took this, or we talked about this when, when Stephen Reed was on the show, of just wanting all this stuff to just sort of, like, connect together, you know? Well, like, in 2000 AD, they sort of encouraged that as well, and they'll drop little lines here and there, and... It's true. I just, yeah, and, and, and there are even some links to other things, like, I think I mentioned with Peter, actually, like, the spinball showing up in an early Harlem here. Heroes comic, mm, mm. 
you know, and then I think just maybe the nature, honestly, maybe like the Tom Tully influence because he likes to reuse names, but just mm. you kind of hear names repeated over and over again. Like I remember there was a mobster in, Judge, in an early Judge Dredd story called like Scarlatti, which was the name of the mobsters in the Running Man story and stuff. It well, becomes. Tom Tully has a thing for Jaws's, Jaws Jensen's. Jaws Jensen's are, show up mm. so much. It's ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> but, oh man. So, sorry. <laughs> no, it, yeah. You know, it, it, it's hard to avoid digressions for sure. But we got to keep on here as uh, Hammer Forces fight in a massive tank battle. Oh, they've been abandoned once again by those no good SS tanks. I don't like those guys. <laughs> and. The Russians have identified Helmet as a danger, like the, the that tank with the hammer banner. We got to take that guy out. Two tanks try to ram him at once in like a pincer thing. But yeah, smooth- called, called the Soviet Steamroller, which sounds oh. so much like an 80s wrestling move. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I yeah, get a team up with the uh, with the Iron Sheik and, we, and 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 you do it together, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but some smooth dri- driving by Hellman lets him uh, dodge them. After the battle, the Germans um, think they can sort of chill out, like they've won the day, but the Russians are just sneaking around and two of them are chosen uh, as suicide troopers to bring mines into the camp to destroy the German tanks. <laughs> no good Russians, but... Um, unfortunately for them, the, uh, the the Germans are deciding to eat their own that night as well as the uh, SS leaders jealously complaining about uh, Hellman being so cool when SS Gruppenführer Gruber shows up. That's another reused um, 2018 <laughs> <laughs> um, But he's got a plan. The SS guys get Hellman to come out into the woods in the middle of the night where they ambush him and force him to play Russian roulette. Oh, that's the worst kind of roulette. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I'm not entirely sure here Gruber has thought this through, though. It's really like, how do you how are you going to explain this? I guess maybe just fog of war or something like that. But it seems it seems weird, especially because he hasn't counted on the fact that Hellman's a master of all weapons and can feel the weight of the bullet in the gun as he holds it to his head and confidently pulls the empty trigger against his temple. And I, now I, it's Gruber's turn. Yeah, I have a funny feeling SS stands for sucks at statistics. <laughs> You know, I mean, because, like, you got to think one way or another. Like, there's a one in six chance, or there's only a one in six chance he's going to kill himself for the first time. Like, Mm. the odds are against, are the odds are in favor of the gun coming to you at least once, which is, you know, no good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Gruber hems and haws over the the pistol when suddenly the Russians attack. Mm. The most handy suicide squad turn up since the Will Smith one. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Oh. Dead shots and Harley Quinns all over the place. Um, but well, have, have you seen the Russian version of? I think it's Suicide Squad. It might be the Avengers. I can't tell because I don't speak Russian. With a half man, half bear, and an invisible girl and a human tank. Oh, I think I have seen. The, <laughs> I've seen the trailer for it at least. That's amazing. <laughs> Where's that in action? Well, that, anyway, yeah, carry, on, carry on. It, it, it's British comics. There's no superheroes. You, know, you got to import those from uh, from America. Is, mm. is my understanding. Um, so the Russians attack. One of the suicide guys bu- explodes himself right away, and Hellman grabs the gun from Gruber and shoots the remaining one, and makes him explode harmlessly as well. Uh, Gruber congratulates Hellman on like you know that that he got the bullet of the that he was lucky enough to have the bullet, and then Hellman shows off his like gun knowledge. Like I was never <laughs> in danger. <laughs> And, you know, the tensions between Hellman and the SS continue to grow. Yes. <laughs> Those SS guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shakespeare. Uh, 
I was literally shaking my fist. I got acted out. Uh, meanwhile, next up, it's the Battle of Kursk. This massive tank battle between Germans and Russians. Hellman's winning these battles, but because he's so cool, it's only intensifying the rivalry he has with the SS. As they as they advance, Hellman calls a halt. As the land ahead is seeded with deadly ground bombs, mm. powerful mines that'll dest- easily destroy a tank if they drive over it. They have to stop and get some engineers out here to clear them, but the SS yeah, guys won't hear of it. They're in a, they're in a hurry. They're mm-hmm. always it's it's funny because these guys are German because it seems like they're always Russian. Whoa! Wow! We starting a pun war? Okay, right. <laughs> Listen, I'm always I'm, I'm always at, at least DefCon three for puns, but. Uh, <laughs> But so they demand Hellman clear the way with his panther with his panther tanks or be killed by the elephante ta- elephant tanks of the SS. Hellman and his team cut a course through the minefield. Hellman's comrades explode all around him. They finally reach the end when even Hellman's tank explodes. The SS just roll past their corpses um, and go through safely and then assume that Hellman and all of his troops are dead. So they kind of get in position, set up camo netting, toast Hellman's death, prepare to fight the Russians as they advance. But they've toasted too soon. (laughs) Hellman's still alive. He sneaks into the SS camp, steals their bottle of booze, breaks it and uses its jagged shards to threaten the SS leader. Drop that camo netting. You're fighting these oncoming Russians in an even fight. <laughs> Showdown time. After an SS guy tries to stab Hellman, he realizes he can't force all these SS guys to just fight at knife point. So instead, he takes a, sh- a seat in the, in the lead tank with a pair of grenades in his boots um, and says, "Any if there's any funny business, he'll set them off. I, I love the way he actually casually kicks one of the tank plates down, breaks someone's hand and goes, you can still operate the foot pedals, go. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good tank fight. You know, no one knows how to fight in and around a tank better than Hellman. Absolutely. (laughs) So the elephant tanks um, carry the day early. They're blowing up waves of smaller Russian T-34 tanks. But eventually the Russians roll out their own heavy tanks, the SUs. And their greater numbers allow them to destroy the German war machines. Mm-hmm. Troopers bail out of their tanks, but then they're crushed under the treads of, of, of Russian tanks, or they're cut down by uh, like infantrymen riding on top of them. Soon, only Hellman and the SS men in that in their tank are left alive, and Hellman eventually uh, bails out of the tank just in time for it to be destroyed by an oncoming SU. As Hellman runs, he pulls out the grenades in his boots and uses them to kill the infantrymen aboard the uh, the Russian tank. Smoothly dodges the tank's heavier guns and then makes a final ga- gamble, standing stock still, daring the Russians to come run him down. They take the bait and a game of chicken breaks out. At the last minute, Hellman dodges clear, revealing that he was standing in front of one of those ground bombs from last time, and the SU is destroyed. Yeah. Hellman seems to be the last survivor of his tank group, except for that no good Gruber who seems to have also escaped. And ah, the, Gruber. Uh, he always gets away. And, and the next time they meet, you gotta think one of them will die. <laughs> next time on Hellman, another deadly confrontation. Just like the last one. Always. I mean I I like all this like tank fighting stuff. I think it's 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 fun. Like Oh, sorry. Rolling around. sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I have to be honest. I, the, the, I've made some notes for stuff, and there's about half a page of notes for Hellman and the, the uh, Russian roulette stuff, and about two lines for Hellman and the <laughs> tanks, because you're just watching it. You, you read it, and it's, 
it's just flowing and the art is awesome. The action is full on. It's actually trundling along, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, although I'm not entirely sure that's how stick grenades really work, but to YouTube. It's fair. Yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> like, like I'm like, there's so much weird little war things in, in Helmet that makes me think that they, they, they might be something like that. I mean, I mm. don't know. Ever since I, uh, ever since I looked up to see if German tanks actually can go underwater and was found out that they could. They could, I've been, yes. I, yeah. I've, I've well, been given, given Helmet the benefit of the doubt, you know? <laughs> well, you know the origins of the word tank? No. When they were first put together, it was all a bit super secret in the First World War. And because there were these big plates of steel all mm-hmm. welded together. They were identified as water tanks. Oh, interesting. Uh, and, the, so, and the name sort of stuck as a tank. Hmm. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, so I guess Education it, it, it makes sense that they're, uh, yeah, that they're watertight and stuff. That's really oh, cool. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I must admit, every time Hellman's about to get squashed or act smoothly, I keep thinking of Hellman's mayonnaise. I don't know if you get that in America. <laughs> yeah, we well, yeah, you know, reference accepted. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez okay so speaking of uh cantankerous relationships in world war ii oh god <laughs> <laughs> it's story two green's grudge war now i have to be honest if there's one gripe i would have with action is that quite often there's a tagline across the banner of the first page that gives mm. the story away absolutely yeah i don't <laughs> like these uh I was I've I've talked about this before like like you know action's very light on the uh, next time message mm. but always has these intro messages yeah that like you say really mess things up like especially in this one um I should say uh, G- uh Green's Grudge War writer Jerry Finley Day artist Massimo Bellardinelli mm. the tourist we... GFD exactly <laughs> and and uh Paisan Bellardinelli um so uh, so we so our our buddies the guys who hate each other so much they love each other uh green and bold are that they've got a new mission they've been issued new gear uh desert style shorts and stuff and 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 uh bold's like all right we gotta start putting these shorts on to get used to their movements when we go to uh, warmer climbs mm-hmm. they pile aboard a ship to their next mission the sergeant major isn't telling them where they're going uh and they you know bold keeps talking about wearing these shorts and eventually gets green to make them do it as well but it's freezing out he's still super confident through it's the right decision until they literally literally it's cold in the desert at night yeah it's it's fine we'll, we'll, you, you know you, you like we'll be laughing when we get there to the sands and we're wearing we're wearing comfortable shorts and you guys are wearing whatever the parkas that you're also wearing for some reason what's going on <laughs> suddenly they've they've arrived at what are clearly the frozen fjords of norway oh no <laughs> they land on the uh, on on the ice floes, fight their way through through to a German outpost. Green and Bold both freezing in their light kits, but they're suddenly cut off. The uh, that they, they gotta fi- fix bayonets and get fighting. Green even saves Bold's Bold's life at one point because he's got a uh, got a bolt in the pipe as he fights in, with, with the bayonets. The commandos head home a job well done, and we learn that the uh, that the warm weather gear was to throw off possible German spies. Mm. Oh, it's all all a laugh. Everybody makes fun of them until the guys have to miss their next leave because they've caught cold from wearing such light clothing in uh, in, in in the frozen north. And for once, Bold is being a total know-it-all and, and ballses it up. And it's Green who saves the day for him and tells him what to do. It's the most unconventional green structure. That's true. Story. Yeah, it's a real it's a real um switch up for for these two cuz usually yeah, it's it's it, it, it's green that's proven wrong and and bold that saves the day. You're mm. you're right. Mm. Interesting. But but but, but 
such lovely Bernardinelli art with all the icebergs and the, you can tell he's, this is his thing. This is where the, the madcap future landscapes of his other work would stem from. It just looks oh, yeah. lovely, lovely you stuff. Know, when they land in Scandinavia, there's this huge like landscape of like of, of frozen mountains and icicles and stuff, and it, and it really looks like something out of Meltdown Man or something mm. like that. That's just mm, 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 height mm. of like Bellardinelli drawing, just just a, uh, an awesome landscape for sure. Next up, during a mission on the French coast, the commandos destroy a dam and dre- and green spots a German general. It'd be a feather in his cap to capture the general and bring him back. He heads out on his own and is missed when the rest of the commandos head back to their boat. Bold goes to find Green, and as Green's taking out the general's guards, or most of them at least, one of them's about to shoot Green when Bold shows up and saves him. But Mm -hmm. now they have to escape with the general! In my head canon, it's General von Kilgerhofen. I don't wait, wait, who's that? I forget that name. Uh, Hogan's Heroes. Oh, of course. (laughs) Very round general with the the monocle. (laughs) 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 Hogan! So they. it, it seems that holding a general's hostage won't stop the other generals or the other Germans from shooting at them, which is kind of rough. So the boys have to escape to the rooftops of a nearby city. As they go, Bold slips on one of the roofs and falls seemingly to his death. What? Green, Must, le- yeah, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, Green leaves Bold to his death a thousand times. You could simply just start expecting that Bold will turn back up again, you know, well, like a bad penny. <laughs> But, but uh, so they keep going. Um, they once again get caught. Uh, uh, Green and General once again get get found by German troops. But Bold has again, of course, survived and saves Green. But this time he uh, kills the general as well as the rest of the Germans in sort of the, the melee of the fight. The two bicker all the way back to the landing craft. And once they get there, Green punches Bold in the face for ruining his scheme. Green's had it with Bold. He doesn't care anymore. He's going to take Bold out if it kills him. Mm-hmm. Back to form, Green is a prick. Yeah, exactly. This is real, like, <laughs> like yeah, snaps back in place. Oh, I think it is, like, an example. I guess, like, the the, the the first one is an example of just another way that, like, Green is frustrated with Bold, mm. you know? Mm. Like, it's sort of... Because we're sort of... We are sort of building to a crescendo here. Like, like Gre- like the, this story is going to end, like, next episode, basically. Ah, uh, you know, well, so. I, I, was, I was wondering, because it's... It's almost you, you've got this big denouncement at the end where it's like I'm going to actually kill this bugger. Yeah, and he like off. takes a demotion and stuff like that. Like it's definitely and, and, like big things and then, happening. And then it sort of goes on the wane for the last episode. But I, when I was reading it, because I, I, I keep on thinking, is Bold actually this thick, or is he just yeah. being really sarcastic? And you could t- take most of his line readings as actually being. Uh, I don't. I'll help you, mate. You need someone looking after you. <laughs> but then you just get to the bottom of the, of the, the the strip, and you go, "Oh, now he's just besotted." Yeah, like <laughs> like it's it's my firm belief that Bold thinks he and Green are the be- are best friends. Mm. Like they're like or, he's just to- or you know or whatever else or like, whatever you know, else at the very least best friend at the very least. Yes. <laughs> so you know he's like always yeah. So he's just like saving his buddy and like helping him out and stuff like that. Although the fact the concept that he's doing it sarcastically is very funny just because it'd be like one of the few times where someone saved someone's life sarcastically you know <laughs> like oh i could imagine dread saving your life so sarcastically yeah but i mean then he buttons it by like uh putting you in p- putting you in the cubes for a couple years as opposed <laughs> yeah. to to bowl that just kind of like keeps on going you know yes. 
So Green's been busted down to private, but he's still anxious for glory. During a raid on the Dutch coast, he's given a mission to blow up a nearby dike, and Bold is told to come along, and a Bold comes along, and Green's just really stewing over it. They Mm -hmm. set charges um, at the dike with a 30-minute timer and go to rejoin their their fellows, but instead are uh, attacked by Germans and knocked out. And have their watches stolen. Oh, no. They don't know when it's going to blow up. They don't know how long it's been. Uh, they come to in a German base, and the officer demands to know what they were doing. And the commandos keep quiet as the German, as the officer kind of counts down and then is going to shoot them. When, as he gets to like two, the bomb and the dike goes off. Oh, it's real awesome. There is a lovely little moment of compassion from Green. It's like the only one where he tells Bolt to shut up and relax as they're about to be shot. I just, yeah. There's a little bit of just a subtlety there, but yeah. I mean, I think anyway. it's weird. Like, okay, like, man, I, I feel like I, I need somebody who knows way more about relationships than me to write a paper about, about Green's Grudge War here. Because, like, there are moments where Green, like, there's moments where Green is friendly and nice to Bold, but it's always when either he thinks Bold is dead or he's about to die. You know? Yeah, yeah, like, that's, yeah, when the, that's when it falls. That's when the when the anger falls and they just sort of become friends or something. It's really weird. Uh, so, the bomb goes off. In the confusion of the of, of it going off, uh, Green and Bold fight back and escape the Germans. They still Steal a truck and drive to outrun the oncoming tidal wave from the dike, which is pretty awesome, honestly. They can't go fast enough, and soon the whole place is flooded, Disaster 1990 style. I was going to say, Bill Savage, where are you now? (laughs) Oh, right, yes. What, 50 years away, I guess? Um, But he'll be using, what, uh, amphibious vehicles from World War II, so it's Mm -hmm. very close. The pair prepare to swim back when they're picked up by the boat of a loyal Dutchman. He pole-boats them over to the other other Brits, pausing only to dump a chimney on a German patrol boat, which is pretty awesome, actually. (laughs) The commandos rejoin their fellows. They're in their underwear because they like stripped down to try to swim back to England. Um, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> but they're safe, and it's the old man that gets recommend- recommended for a decoration. Yeah, which, Conrad, is not the first time two uptight, burly British Brits have found themselves damp and in their underpants after losing time after lighting up during an explosive adventure with a dyke in Holland. <laughs> or I'm a Dutchman. This podcast is over. That's the winner. <laughs> That's all. I, I, I have no response. I've left speechless. That's amazing. Oh, Next time on Grudge War, Green continues his hate campaign. Yes. Uh, like, yeah, it's, man, I don't know. Like, I, I like I like Grudge War, but it's very confounding. You know, it, <laughs> I, I wonder if it's out of order because the the you know that that middle story feels so much so much like the second to last episode. You know, it all comes to a head. Then we're all off running around in our underpants. Although there is continuity in this because oh, Green was busted. busted down to mm. private at the end of the second story, and and he's still a private here. Like, yeah. So so bold outranks him, I guess, which has got to be adding adding to his anger. I said true, true. It's weird, yeah. There, there is a tonal funniness to it, but yeah, mm. I mean, well, it's a it's such a weird thing because again, like with Grudge War, so much of the jokes are kind of like lighthearted war jokes, but then they're always capped off by like seething black rage from Green. <laughs> it seems very serious. <laughs> You know, yep. and like not funny at all, really. Yep, yep, yep. I agree totally. <laughs> but speaking of a uh, of, of a blonde and brunette having adventures traveling through the countryside, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Story three: Hell's Highway. Uh, writer Chris Lauder, artist Mike White. So Steve and Danny. Oh man, they're truckers working for the U.S. government, as you do. They're mm-hmm. 
currently investigating the murder of an agent up in Alaska, but things are going real bad. Uh, last episode, one of them, Steve, I think, had been captured by a local sheriff. Yeah, um, that's Steve, Steve is the blonde. Yep. Steve, is, Steve is the blonde. Yeah. We know that. <laughs> we know that that's now. right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's a, there's a sheriff. He's in cahoots with the Russians. The locals are trying. The, the, the locals head out after Danny in the truck, and it's time for some sweet ice road trucking. <laughs> He manages to lose them by knocking them off the road and stuff. And I guess they didn't pat Steve down because the two of them are able to communicate through sweet pocket walkie-talkies. Yeah, mobile phones. Action sees the future. <laughs> I mean, these because they kind of have that clamshell thing, they feel more like Star Trek or something like that. Well, that's, that's probably well, where the they got thing. the idea from. Yeah, yeah indeed. So uh, Danny swings back into town. He bursts through the walls of the prison that uh, Steve is held in in the big rig, and they're reunited. They ride <laughs> out. Dropping cargo from the back of the trailer to throw off pursuing pickup trucks. Beware of truckies dropping their load. Absolutely. <laughs> they head to a nearby airstrip where the locals are ferrying in Russian spies and arrive just in time to scare a small plane from landing on the uh, on, on, on the landing strip. And it diverts away and crashes into a mountain and explodes, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, 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 I, I don't quite get how the geometry works there. I mean, it is awesome. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but it's just like, let's, let's veer away from that small truck into this giant mountain. Oh, I didn't see that there. Oh, no. <laughs> But with the plane exploded, that sort of ends it. Things they, they they've lost their cargo, but they've got the sheriff and a couple of his accomplices accomplices under arrest, which should be a fine to make up for it. Oh yeah! How many truckies these days carry human cargo? Oh, such innocent times. I mean, you know, I don't. I, I, I feel like that that's a that's a question. I don't know if I want the answer for it. To be super no, honest. No. Um, <laughs> Next up, the truck is traveling through a massive grain, uh, grass field, I should say, in, in Kansas, looking for a passenger, when the guys notice a crop duster flying overhead. But it's all grass, not crops. And then the plane opens fire on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny and Steve, uh, or sorry, one of them, I think Danny, Danny, Danny yeah, Danny, Danny slides out the roof of the truck and shoots the plane down with a machine gun, which is pretty awesome. And yes. when he comes back into the cab, there's a dude with a gun waiting in the passenger seat for them. He says he's Collins, the guy they're here to pick up. He's escaping from a nearby evil prison, and they've just shot down one of the evil prison's planes. Oh, it's an evil <laughs> prison plane. A fuzz plane. <laughs> they got to get out of there fast, but are stopped by a prison roadblock. The, uh, the guards demand to search the truck. And uh, they they whip. I think it's Steve, maybe, or maybe Danny uh, Dan- again. Danny yeah. again, I think. <laughs> In the neck with a whip to get, make, make him make him like do it, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. The guards yeah. search the truck and don't find anything until they see Collins on the roof. The boys reverse away and try to blast through the roadblock, but the guards have set the surrounding grass all on fire. So there's like a big flaming inferno with a roadblock in the middle. That's no problems for the Hell's Highwaymen, though, as they just blast right through it, kicking the evil prison governor off the side of their truck into the flaming grass, burning him alive. Good thing nothing on that truck is flammable. Absolutely. Well, they they say that, uh, oh, we were driving way too fast for anything to catch fire. So good times. <laughs> Apart from um, all the people. Yeah, off. exactly. Uh, the, the, the prison governor, though, I think someone's been watching a bit too much Cool Hand Luke. It feel, this, I mean, yeah, this is a super Cool Hand Luke kind of feel, both with the whips and just the kind of like, you know, we're the law down here, boy. You understand? <laughs> we communicating? <laughs> a truck boy? <laughs> Trucking with a deviant way. Oh. <laughs> so now Collins can report on this crooked prison and all was well that, that that ends well, I suppose. Finally. 
<laughs> this the trucks, that's enough. Yeah, this one gets real rough, actually. Uh, the trucks in Chicago, as Danny and Steve are basically escorting a sniper that blows the brains out of a mob boss on a golf course with it's a pretty graphic, head. yeah, b- brains blowing up scene, to be honest. Like, this is pretty rough. Um, they're spotted, though, and they make a run for the state line when an ambulance pulls up beside them full of mafia goons. Yep. Don't want to go to that hospital. No, no. You don't want to go to that uh, St. Goo. Um, Godfather Memorial. Oh, yeah. The the boys were, um, sorry. They escape off the highway by by driving down, by driving off the on-ramp against traffic. And then we flash back to the, getting the briefing for their mission. We see uh, their handler that looks looks like the guy from Six Million Dollar Man. Oscar Goldman? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I said it is I thought exactly the same thing and ran off to look at I've definitely, like, I haven't seen a lot of Six Million Dollar Man, but I think, but everybody who has remarks on this similarity, so I mm. feel like it's definitely true. Um, yeah, Hartwell is his name in, yes. in, 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 in the comic. But uh, I guess this mob boss has a lot of powerful friends, so they need to assassinate him through back channels, uh, truck-based back channels, I suppose. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, an escape truck isn't the subtlest of options. No, absolutely not. (laughs) Like, you can really see it from a long distance. And it seems really interesting that they're now, like, in a warehouse just, in a warehouse district, able to play cat and mouse with an ambulance. Like, it feels like, like, mouse and, like, uh, like cow or something like that in terms of relative size of the two pursuers. Eventually, though, the tru- the truckers are able to sideswipe a whole building and set it raining down on the gangsters in their ambulance and, and uh, free themselves of pursuit. Right. Which yes. I guess, okay. Yeah. Seems like a lot of destruction, for the record, just in an urban center. Yes. Um, well, after the multi-car pileup that caused going down the on-ramp. I guess it's just this is a version of Chicago that's completely taken over by the mobs. There's just no law enforcement at all, I guess. Oh, fair enough, um, yes. Although they have um, to cross the state line for some reason. Yeah, well, may- maybe the gangsters only go that far. Like, once Possibly, you get yeah. into Ohio, like, it's no problem or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah, let's, yeah, don't want to deal with the Amish mob, no way. Mm-mm. Ooh, that's the worst kind. Get you with, that, with those pitchforks. Um, <laughs> later, the hitman calls their boss and is told that the only way they can prevent a gang war in Chicago um, as a result of the assassination is to set up some patsies, namely our buddies Danny and Steve. Oh, no. Who, who wouldn't have seen that coming? Absolutely. I mean, they've been set up as patsies at least two or three times and just managed to survive through, like, gumption at this point. Hartwell's not a good boss, for the record. No. <laughs> Next time on Hell's Highway, are Steve and Danny the ideal fall guys? I mean, you know, probably, honestly. I, I, as you say, probably not. They've got out of it a few times. Yeah, already. at this point, like, you, you think you get, get some better patsies, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're sort of instead just surviving and leaving, met, like, giant swaths of destruction in their wake. But, you know. Oh, uh, well. I guess speaking of giant swaths of destruction in my oh, wake. And wake, yes. Yeah, well wakes done. literally. It's story four, Hookjaw. Mm. Oh, I love Hookjaw. <laughs> Writer Pat Mills, artist Roman Solo, getting crazy with Hookjaw now. Although, I, I, well, to carry on. I, I have a question, though. Sure. Wasn't it $1 million before for getting Hookjaw? I think it was $1 million when they were fighting Hookjaw in the arena. Oh, uh, 
Okay. Like that was a, a different thing. And so that like it was where one specific person could get a million. But yes, yeah, so the last episode we saw a robot shark and its creator be destroyed by Hookjaw moments before he'd be interviewed on TV. So instead, island owner, Dr. Gelder, um, uses the TV, the upcoming live TV spot, I guess, to put a $10,000 reward on the head of Hookjaw. Come one, come all. The, <laughs> the next day, a fleet of planes comes flying in full of fishermen dudes hungry for shark blood just and just this week my kids took up fishing and i went night fishing with my daughter and we met a guy from phoenix who caught two sharks off a wharf oh just, that's amazing just shark related topical discussion so that's amazing if terrifying well no they're, they're only little dog sharks they're only about oh, okay. a half long they're not they're not particularly big but he Pulling was rattled, oh, i've got a shark <laughs> they're more guns than jaws ah <laughs> oh, that's still cool shout though. out to Absolutely. phoenix hey. yeah <laughs> He's got to travel pretty far to find to get fishing opportunities from Phoenix. <laughs> um, but so it's it's getting crazy in the waters mm. around this bay as just the water as it's suddenly completely chummed and full of blood, full of fish hooks and stuff trying to catch uh, uh, Hookjaw the old-fashioned way. One of the hooks gets a bite and it's fishing time. But Hookjaw is so strong that he starts towing this fisher boat around and rams the other boats as well, capsizing them and knocking the fishermen into the water so Hookjaw can eat them. Like fishermen in a barrel. Oh, no. <laughs> Among the wreckage, of course, is our buddy Rick Mason and his buddy Sharky. And in classic Hookjaw fashion, he's now increased in size to the point where I think he could just swallow most of these boats well, whole I, if he really I, I wanted to. I was going to say, how big is Hookjaw in that last bottom row of panels? It's like they drive a boat into his mouth. It doesn't seem to touch the sides. No, yeah, he's easily like the size of a whale shark at this point. Like, it's <laughs> right. the biggest thing on Earth. <laughs> Luckily, this is all. This was all Doctor Gelder's plan. As now, Hookjaw is a sitting duck for this like big, just stack of TNTs dropping. And hey, if the explosion should kill Mason as well, then good times. Hookjaw's the bomb, as the kids would say. Oh no, <laughs> he's off the chain. Um, Doctor Gelder drops a bomb and blows Mason, Hookjaw, and just some kind of random dude torso high into the sky. <laughs> Uh, but Mason and Sharky survive the blast and are pulled aboard a nearby ship. But Hookjaw seems to have been killed and sinks to the bottom of the ocean. It's bad times for Hookjaw. For our hero, Mason, Sharky, and a red shirt, still dazed from the explosion, still swim underwater to find the unconscious Hookjaw. They try to tie the beast up in ropes when suddenly a blast of boiling hot bubbles erupts from the seabed. As it seems, the explosion has triggered a nearby fault line. Yeah, and actually, a very shallow fault line considering they free dive to it. Yeah, but, it's definitely just right on right on the surface there. But, yeah. but I've got to be honest, in a strip about a mass changing giant shark, why am I surprised about this? I mean, it's no worse than anything else, you know, no. in terms of like the science of Hookjaw. You no. know? <laughs> um, well, I could get you started on the density of aerated water, but no, no yeah. step back. Especially <laughs> now because the extreme heat of this um, of the water from deep within the earth is enough to shock Hookjaw back to life, despite the fact that he's been dead on the uh, on the seabed. He's badly scalded, and the red shirt's killed, of course. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, that's why he's down there. Uh, Sharky climbs back aboard the boat, but Mason can't make it, and the water's now super hot, boiling Mason alive. Ooh. Yeah, Hookjaw breaks off his attack because of the extreme heat, but there's also earthquakes starting, and the reef that's been keeping him locked inside this island has collapsed. He heads back out to the open sea. Well, or does he? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he he'll be back. He's just he like, going out to call some buddies, basically. Oh, right. Fair enough. 
party at my place. <laughs> exactly. Like, dudes, I'm out. Let's party. All, all you can eat. There's <laughs> a sparkle. <laughs> Hot and bubbly. Yummy. Got some Rick's nibbles. Cup. Yeah, warm warm pot. You know, it's a it's sort of a proto Doctor Evil where he thinks every creature should enjoy a hot meal, but instead of sh- instead of freaking lasers on their heads, it's just sort of superheating the water. You know, uh, uh, Rick's covered in birds, which seems pretty terrible, and a series of earthquakes is now starting all over the island, destroying nearby buildings. But Doctor Gelder won't live to see his island destroyed because Mason's about to smash his skull. Watch Ironic. out for the white hot lava. Indeed. Some dramatic irony here. But anyhow, the island's starting to quake. Buildings come down and white hot lava rises from the sea, which has got to be real hot because whatever. Um, <laughs> Normally red. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the hotel guests try to escape to the ocean, but Rick warns that it's full of angry sharks. They don't take his advice, and soon a fleet of small boats heads out to sea, Dr. Gelder among them. There's no more barrier reef, and Hookjaw comes back, leading an army of sharks to eat those hotel guests. It's a very sort of sort of flesh moment to me, Old, actually, old mother where, style, yeah. Yeah, where, where old One-Eye brings the army <laughs> of T-Rexes. But yeah, now, now Hookjaw's got, just got all of his hammerhead shark buddies and stuff. You know, presumably <sighs> they're all, all swimming in, doing like the snaps. You know, well, there's uh, a <laughs> there's a headless body in the water, just sitting in color, which is like oh. they really like the thing that's always the greatest about Hookjaw is how much advantage they take of these color pages mm. to just have at least one panel that's just completely red from blood. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's really uh, crazy. Another red shirt gets eaten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, the whole red boat full of red shirts gets eaten. They all get boat gets flipped. The sharks start eating all the hotel guests as they fall into the water. It's a feeding frenzy, and Doctor Gallagher, who's sort of hanging back, cowardly tries to swim back to shore. And Rick and Sharky notice him. Rick runs with a rope and a hatchet to try to save the doctor, and Gelder is pulled to safety just as Hookjaw attacks. Mm. Hookjaw's skin is too tough for a hatchet which He's, I can actually believe well, just thinking about I, how hatchets work sorry <laughs> at this point I'm just thinking that like ha- like you know Hookjaw is just sort of a reborn like like Megadalon from that movie you know you He's, need, like something crazy you know well Hookjaw is your classic force of nature really oh, there's indeed. no reasoning with Hookjaw there's no nothing you, you mess yeah. with Hookjaw you reap the world absolutely yeah it's now just Mason and Hookjaw out there in the water things are looking bad for Mason as Dr. Gelder orders Sharky to help him. Next time, feel the fresh, the flesh tear when Hookjaw is around. Oh, they, they don't pull no punches with Hookjaw, do they? I mean, no, man. Well, listen, like, I can't wait for next episode where just the craziest stuff starts, where even even for Hookjaw, some crazy stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, everything with the, with the earthquakes and the faults are normal. <laughs> I mean, it's normal in comparison to, like, waving around the severed head of a major character, which happens next episode, yes. (laughs) Join us next time. Exactly. I can't stress it enough. It's action. Severed heads, exploding heads. It does what it says on the tin. Absolutely. You know, we're like... Why why would you be surprised? Like I've always said, like, you know, we're we're about to get to censorship times and sometimes I can I can kind of see her see people's point, you know, with just the ridiculousness of action. <laughs> but after explosions and earthquakes, let's cool things down with non stories, covers, editorial, and action man. Mm. Action's only out once a week. You need six days to recover. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, issue 28, Wanna Die for $10,000? Hook Jaws Inside. And this uh, it's a cool like POV from Inside Hook Jaws Jaws. You go, inside, uh, Steve is still recovering from dry skiing last episode and, ha- and and also from eating a bad pie that the editor bought him. Oh, there's a weird pie joke on here. Yeah, um, I, one other, he talks about his old lady telling him he looked green. I don't know, is that old lady as in his spouse or the old lady as in his mum because he lives at home? Not quite sure. <laughs> I feel like I, I like it's so different depending on just what what era you're in almost because I feel like 76 I feel like that means you're a significant other almost but it could be anything yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of uh about what Wayne's World 2 where they get that legendary roadie and he talks about his old lady being every place and then eventually you see a picture and he's just like got his grandma with him and like yeah that's that's me old lady <laughs> There's letters from kids whose dad has a soccer-based story that's very hard to read because it's written in like uh, in like very blurry cursive. I, I'm sure if you get halfway through one of those letters, there'll be an and then I killed him. Exactly, <laughs> it's like this. a scrawled <laughs> confession from, from the a uh, a family hooked on action, a shark, a uh, a kid eating sausages shark style, another kid that's uh, afraid of triffids. An action saved from a dog, from the dog, and a perfectly good cat thrown out in the dustbins. There's also a cool picture of Hookjaw and a comic of a kid in a bathtub with a machine gun because he's fra- afraid of Hookjaw. Yep, I don't blame him. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Although, luckily, I feel like like the one thing that that is is that a, a, a bathtub's way too small for Hookjaw. I think. <laughs> hey, this is Hookjaw. He's going to come through the motherfucking wall. Oh, Sorry, that's true. Whoa, edit that oh, that's out. Right. <laughs> feel free to edit that out. Sorry, I just uh, I was oh, caught fine. up in the moment. Hey, explicit. <laughs> From, issue, from episode one, you know? Uh, <laughs> okay, cool. Um, later in the prog, there's a model command post for under a quid. I think a pretty cool ad for uh, for Darkie's mob in, mm-hmm. in battle. There's a many action device to help kids take their medicine, which involves conveyor belts and hammers to nail their feet first so they don't uh, uh, run away. And then yep. the issue ends with a guide to gymnastics, including a bunch of step-by-step guides for how to do like somersaults and cartwheels and stuff. Which I think is pretty cool, really. It's sort of the get out and do it mentality of the the, the sort of seventies comics, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if anyone ever tried it and yeah. what injuries resulted as a result. <laughs> There's so much sports stuff in action that I feel like is so. It just feels weird to me because I feel like so so often if you're reading comics, you're doing the opposite of sports. I guess. Mm. But the, the the baseline of action seems to assume that the people reading it, that the kids reading it are really into sports and will try all this stuff, whether it's it's gymnastics or fencing or like uh, improving your 100 meter dash time, all mm-hmm. this stuff. Well, speaking of just going out and trying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, issue 29, action is the name of the game. Uh, four games to play, ball game, death game, war game, and big game. That's Hookjaw. Montage cover here. Uh, inside, Steve thanks readers for their great letters. He complains about the editor's cigars and warns against starting your own spinball team. Just, just be very careful. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, you're going to spend most of your time building the giant uh, pinball field anyway. It's fine. Uh, Letters include another uh, quote-unquote funny dad story, uh, uh, playing tricks on teachers, compliments on the uh, recent invasion game, problems Mm -hmm. with the hookjaw transfer, and a pretty good picture asking for a crazy Luigi strip, which I would be down for as well. I just want to see more of that mad hatchet-based mob assassin. (laughs) Mid-issue, there's a no-wall section. Muhammad Ali is Twitter of the Week, and Action Mouse tries to show Dredger a thing or two about shooting, but instead just shoots himself twice in the chest instead. I've got a question, and I don't know if anyone would know this out there. Did Action Mouse in any way influence Danger Mouse? 
hmm. because the timing might be about right. I, I don't know if it's anything you're aware of, Conrad Danger Mouse, but it was I definitely, big. Yeah, no, I, I, I know Danger Mouse for sure. So, yeah, yeah I just the the, this completely white mouse. I mean, the eye patches are on there and there is the Danger Man Bond references, but it's just something I've been, every time I see a Danger Mouse, sorry, an Action Mouse strip, it just sort of, yeah, something that nudges me in the brain. Yeah, answers, that's fair. answers on the Facebook page, people. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to hear if 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 you've got a a, a, a complex conspiracy about a, a Danger Mouse <laughs> in action, and you know who's who's bothering one. I I will say Danger Mouse is from 1981, so the the, the timing's certainly right. If you were sort hmm. of had some lasting memories of action and sort of wanted to put it into something or something like that. Yeah, um, just strange timing. Yeah. Later, there's a mini action for a fish-o-matic angler's tub. It's got harpoons, <laughs> worm danglers, and a number of guns to shoot whatever's in the water. But it also keeps the fisherman's legs exposed to kind of kick around. So Hookjaw's kid brother can still easily take you out. Yeah, just be careful of your worm dangler in the tub. That's all I think about. Um, <laughs> then there's even more gymnastics description. This time adding like parallel bars and pommel horse routines. And I'm going to say generally, like if you're starting to do parallel bars, you should probably not be doing that on your own. Like have some parental um... <laughs> No. It goes from here's a roly-poly to here's a triple double back foot. <laughs> I must say all these things are sort of freaking me out just because I think at, just as we're recording this, like about a week ago, there was a really horrifying like gymnastics uh, injury video. So it got me very shook about trying to do like a cartwheel or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay. okay, I'll stand well back. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. Uh, Issue 30, Die Panzers, which also means The Panzers, which I learned from uh, from The Simpsons. Yes, uh, anyhow, I was going to say. Uh, die, bar, the, die. The, bar, yeah, the. The, bar, the. Yeah. I, 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 my a Simpsons fan is going, why isn't it, why isn't it Die Panzers Die? <laughs> then it would be The Panzers The. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, of course, no, no, no one who speaks German can be wrong. That's right. <laughs> That's the next line. Eddie, don't show action to your dad. He'll keep it for himself. Inside, Steve apologizes for some recent mistakes. And there's a star letter that I can't read. Yeah, there's another handwritten letter that I can't read except for the words Adolf Hitler in the middle, which is disturbing. (laughs) Um, Letters include tales of cool gurkha money man using bills to pay a parking, and then a a Brussels sprout joke and a picture of a crocodile parrot hybrid. There's a pretty boy then. (laughs) Later, there's more know-all. Donnie Osmond is, is Twitter of the Week. And Action Mouse has a pretty terrible water skiing accident. Then, towards the end of this issue, there's a big calendar for all the sports in September, including the end of the Gillette Cup for cricket, England versus Ireland at, Wem- at Wembley, and powerlifting in Salisbury. Crikey! It's all yeah. on. And I love how each of these, these entries tell you how to get there. Like, oh, ride your bike or, like, take the train here. And some are just like, have your dad drive you. Like, listen, your dad's busy, guys. Like, you know, whatever. Um... After that, um, Action Mouse gives a preview of next week's action, and it's very shocking. There's also a, a many action for an automatic traffic warden that sticks your car in place so they can give you a ticket. <laughs> and later they'd invent the wheel clamp. Absolutely, yeah. It's a pre-boot technology, I guess. And speaking of stories that oh, well, just, are... Just, just, sorry, or, or, just, oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Just one, one shout-out to, to Peter and the other modeling fans. There is an FX ad for the Space 1999 Eagle Transport, which oh, you absolutely. can still buy from specialist shops. I mean, that thing's cool. It's got all the uh, all, 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 like the triangle beads and stuff like that. Mm. Awesome little modeling, for sure. But the um, if you get into... If you're into 2000 AD, um, in Scarlet Traces... A lot of that will be picked up for the designs of the British Space Fleet. 
Oh, nice. There's lots of iconic little hat waves to iconic British spaceships. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, oh. sorry, oh, I had meant to, to, yeah. to railroad no, no, no just your, 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 your comments. Oh, no, no problem. Yeah, I was just going off the uh, off the mini action device, because speaking of law enforcement out of control. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Story 5, Death Game 1999. Yes. <laughs> uh, writer Tom Tully, artist Costa of the Gioletti Agent. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, it's a team-building chaos montage. <laughs> Always, yeah. In the aftermath of this big prison riot, only three members of our original spinball team, including our buddy Joe Taggart, have survived. A guy named Meatface and a, and a Yo-Yo are worried that there will be reprisals from Warden Smales for the whole riot thing. But Smales is much more worried about getting the spinball team back up and running. And at this point, we get what I've been waiting for since this comic began, which is a recruiting montage. <laughs> we find a couple guys, including a, a dude named Johnny Silver, who's a nimble skater on death row about oh. the executed. And a few other guys. Well, you do get the puntasticness of Johnny Silver, who's a high kicker. I don't know if I do. L- Long John Silver, the pir- one-legged pirate. Ah, of course. <laughs> I didn't want to parrot on about it. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but I read all his dialogue. Uh, with, time, time to start keel hauling everybody. All right. Um... But so he so they managed to build a team and they're going up against the Edgeville Executioners. They're a team of tough killers, but um, they're just sort of flesh and blood guys. So they have a shot. Meanwhile, Smales is having the swamp, the nearby swamp dredged in hopes of finding the body of the dead cyber uh, s- cyber spinballer Rico. They don't find him, but they do find the bodies of some dudes that tried to escape a few years ago. <laughs> and their bones gives Smales an idea. He can't have Taggart killed inside the prison, but maybe he can get the executioners to help him out. And it's the classic, he's dead, but we can't find a body. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, the team is watching game film of the executioners who play a very deadly version of Spinball, which I guess is deadly even for Death Game 1999. (laughs) Speaking of 1999, I mean, they're watching it with a, they've got a film projector. And I was thinking, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit low tech. But then I was like, well, hang on. The trouble I have now is I have to try to remember back twenty years to nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, I remember what the tick of the future actually was there. It does end up being sort of complicated. Of like, ah, uh, yes, it's uh, it's a forty years ago vision of twenty years ago. You know, because <laughs> yes. I feel like I remember using like a film projector in nineteen ninety nine. Like that would be about like you know if. If you were in, in, in sort of a low in a place that that didn't have a lot of high tech stuff like a prison, I feel yeah. like a film projector would still be like a reasonable piece of I, technology. I, I guess I'm I'm sure you're right. It just it just sort of that that whole alternative history futureness of it just um, it highlighted that thing. I thought it was quite funny. Indeed, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, similar to I I I guess to the walkie talkies in um, mm. in in Hell's Highway, which also feel like they would have been high tech in in seventy six. Yeah, and yeah. are now sort of a weird retro future thing for us today. <laughs> so the team arrives at the game, but and uh, Joe feels confident they'll win. But the local fans seem pretty riled up because it looks like Warden Smales has been leaking some inflammatory statements and attributing them to Taggart. And now everybody's calling for his blood. Oh, no, also, it's fake news. <laughs> oh, geez, billboard material. They've been given new jerseys with bloody skulls on them and cool new helmets with rhino horns in the front to give power to their headbutts. Now, is it just me, or does that look like a guaranteed way to break? 
Definitely. <laughs> the hood should be about two inches higher. Oh, I mean, they are kind of designed to also hurt you. Like, you know, these are like yeah. not the most trustworthy of uh, of uh, additions, I guess. Mm. Joe's angry that Smales has stoked the fire of the opposing team, and it's justified, and, and his complaints are justified as the executioners come out clearly playing to injure, not to win. Uh, this has bad consequences when a spinball shot goes, uh, when a spinball is shot straight at Taggart, but instead, um, it goes up through like the glass window around the stadium into the crowd, killing a whole bunch of spectators. Oh think, no! All my pals in the country club are dead. <laughs> I think we need to put a pin in that for later. Exactly, right. Definitely. Uh, the rest of the Carson City Killers have had enough of this, and they start playing tough themselves. With new player Silver taking out a dude's face with his skates, both sides are berserk. <laughs> Dude. But handily, this gives the host an, uh, an excuse to jokingly explain some of the rules to us, <laughs> <laughs> because it's not what they're doing. This chaos stalks the courts. Right. So there's a, a huge battle break uh, breaks out. Players are just taking each other out with no regard to scoring or regular play. Even Warden Smales is getting like sort of worried about what's going on here. He just wants Taggart dead, not the whole team. Taggart sends an executioner flying into a score pin on his motorcycle and he explodes. The executioners then actually try to score some points, sending a game ball um, off a ma- off a series of pins and straight into Taggart's face at incredible speed. Oh, he's dead! <laughs> a pair of teammates pull him to safety and as Smales gloats, it turns out Taggart's still alive because that same new rhino horn visor that Smales added to their helmets actually got in front of the ball and saved Joe's life. Uh, looks like I spoke too soon about them helmets. Well, I mean, you know, it goes both ways, I guess. <laughs> I'm like, sure it does. I think, I, I think it saved him from fatal injury, but could True. also lead to sort of increased non-fatal injuries, you know? <laughs> Nasal dentage, yes. Yeah. By the time he comes out, it's time for the, for the, uh, for the Carson City Killers to go on offense because basically, you know, spinball's in two halves and one team's on offense one half and the other team's on offense the other half. But the executioners have run up to, uh, 200,000 points and there's only three healthy teammates left, including Joe Taggart himself. There's talk of forfeiting. That's not how he rolls. <laughs> the three killers get on their bikes and ride out to meet their destiny. Next time, can three ace killers survive? Ooh. (laughs) They're riding out in their bikes and someone from the crowd is yelling, they're about to commit suicide. I think suicide gets mentioned (laughs) twice in that panel and knowing the cover of the band is sitting there going, ooh. Listen, yeah, I mean... You know, you can see sort of action like 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 digging its own hole as the yes. comics go on. You know, <laughs> yes. like one way or another. I mean, you know, next week when we're really t- when we're actually at the uh, at at issue thirty two, which is the big one, and all that stuff. There's like some <laughs> there's some stuff in there that's like okay, like there's just a lot. This is just a lot. You know. Yes. Uh, during the course of Death Game, though, you got Yobio calling everyone baby, um, mm-hmm. which just seems to me so. Judge Giant. You were talking yeah. with Peter about how you can see the, the, the evolutionary line. Yeah, it's absolutely like, or, or just Harlem Heroes, too. Just yeah. sort of, we got this, you know, we've, we've got this black character who's just going to call everybody baby constantly. That's <laughs> sort of how we're, how we're writing it. That's just how it goes, yeah. you know. But also, again, the, the history and development of things, because it's all pinball based, is mm-hmm. this a precursor to the Palace de Boeing, Judge Dredd? Oh. 
yeah, I gotta think. So. I gotta feel like there's pieces of it, you yeah. know. Just this idea, like you know, it's it's an arresting image. This like uh, giant pinball game that everyone's inside, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. That that could definitely feel like you know, and I mean even in in other comics like you know there's a big like um like in a in in X Men comics here in the states like the uh, there's a bad guy that often has the X Men end up in like a giant pinball machine. I think it's just okay. sort of a fun thing. Like yeah, fair you enough. know, it's a big it's it's a big trope but a good one. And this I and I feel like the the big thing Death Game brings in is also having it be ice hockey in a uh, in a pinball game. Mm-hmm. I guess because it means that that the players are also kind of sliding around in the same way that the ball is which is kind of mm. an interesting concept for it as well mm, definitely <laughs> yeah. definitely. but speaking of more conventional sporting events <laughs> <laughs> story six look out for lefty yeah, speak well conventional well <laughs> i mean kind of fair enough i guess yeah uh artist tom tully or uh, uh writer tom tully artist barry mitchell and tony harding so things are looking good for Lefty Lampton. For once, he's out of school. He's got a job with the Wigford Rovers. But his granddad fell from a ladder last episode while getting another bottle of potato wine. And now he's in the hospital. Pachin! Oh, living it up. Lefty has to come visit him. And Gramps is freaking out. He's just constantly complaining. Like, he's fine. But he just kind of doesn't want to be cooped up in there. Lefty tells him to behave or he'll take away his girly magazines. Whoa. Forget about the violence. Getting girly magazines into a boy's comic. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure... I'm not saying anyone in the 70s was completely innocent. But you try getting away with that now. (laughs) I feel like it's because they're owned by, like, the granddad or something like that. Okay. Weirdly, this really adds into like a trope in like um, in like anime things that I've seen of sort of an old guy that's just got a bunch of girly mags all over the place. I feel like there's a lot of that in like Dragon Ball Z or something. <laughs> Master Roshi always has a bunch of like girly mags all over the place. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> Again, not my not my wheelhouse but, anime, I'm afraid. But it, okay, fair enough. it is a it is a funny extra thing to just have in here to like add to yeah, and it's a fun, like sort of like yeah, snuck in with whatever. Um, Lefty heads out to his first day in the soccer team. He's already ten minutes late. And he's got to practice and mop all the floors and just do all the grunt work around the stadium and stuff. Which is the apprentice's job in most trades, but I don't see that them doing it in the mega dollar hot ticket signings of today. Well, because but it's also weird because or I, like part of what makes it seem possible to me is that this is kind of a lower level team. Mm. I guess third division. So, yep. Yeah. So I mean, it could be like, or like either at, like they need the work, or this is just sort of a a uh, like an organ a formalized hazing process. Oh yeah, a, a rite of passage. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I I I agree with you. It's just it's it's sort of something that's very of its time. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, luckily, though, Lefty gets back out on the field and he's still like a goddamn killer with a soccer ball. He can, <laughs> you know, instantly scores everybody. He's really good. And because of that, despite his lack of experience, he's on the team sheet for the game on Saturday. If he does well, he could be in the money. Uh, but when Lefty gets home, he's in for more trouble as his Aunt Betty yells at him because she doesn't want to be working at the store, like mining the shop mm-hmm. for him and his granddad. And he's got to deal with some like old mattresses that have been gnawed on by rats and like carry them down to market and stuff, which is ridiculous. Well, you've got to take them to the church Doss House. I don't know how many charities would accept rat-nibbled mattresses nowadays. I don't like. <laughs> oh no! It, it's just again. I, no, just no, really I agree. I, yeah, definitely not, not, not a charity. I know there's like services here in the states that actually that specifically are are there to take old mattresses and stuff. Oh right, yes, yes, like but a. It's, 
e-recycling and what have Yeah, you. exactly. But it's always a huge to-do just because I feel like nowadays people are much more worried about bed bugs and things like that than, I guess, 1970s England is. Or mm. maybe there's more use to them. Oh, I think, no. I think the, the rats ate the bed bugs. Ooh, fair. Okay. <laughs> it's one of those one of those always a bigger fish kind of situations, I guess. <laughs> the size of a dove. Able to yeah. eat a small boat in a single bound. Good Lord. Um, on match day, the coaches yell strategies at Lefty, but he doesn't really care. And so he just kind of gets out there, plays single man hero ball, and blasts massive shots into the goal. Um, it's not all sunshine, though, as while this is happening, Grand Granddad has escaped from the hospital. We find out Granddad is Enoch, though, which you know, might be a potential uh, eagle crossover one day. We'll put a bit in there. <laughs> all right. Anyhow, not unlike Death Game this week, uh, Lefty also <laughs> fires a shot into into the crowd and takes out a spectator in our next issue. It's the, the same issue. It happens in both of them, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. <laughs> especially, I was going to say, especially because both of these are written by Tom Tully, which makes it feel like he's just sort of drawing from the <laughs> his own well. Like you still sit there going, stop bitching. You're not a country club watching Spinball. Yeah, like you survived, dude. <laughs> just like, you're not a bloody mass like everybody else in, in Death Game. But it's probably why we have cages and football stadiums. Thank you, Lifty. Or they just did in the eighties. Yeah, they've had similar things to to, to baseball um, yeah. um, stadiums in America as well, mm. just for random things flying at people. Um, he's um, so um, Hoverton Town resolves to take out Lefty, but he's wise to their plans. He dodges a hard tackle, and his teammates are now calling for passes. But Lefty's still just taking those shots himself, man. He uh, he scores again, but now the pressure of all the work, just all the stuff in his life, is getting to him. He's super tired. But because he's still like a football god, um, he, he's not scoring anymore. <laughs> and instead, just using his massive left leg to set up uh, powerful long passes that allow his team to score. And at the half, they're up 4-0 and Lefty's completely exhausted. Mm. He, they make him look tired. He looks really haggard. Absolutely. Yeah, he's got this like covered in sweat, like his head's all creasy and stuff. As he comes off the field, a cop finds him. There's an urgent phone call because Gramps has flown the coop. Mm-hmm. Lefty quickly dresses and leaves the game. He rushes back home to find his grandpa. He arrives at the store. He finds it empty because his aunt Gladys has had to deal with some stolen window cleaner or something. And oh, Lefty no, he just. Her daughter okay. has run off with the window cleaner. So oh, I misread it. Okay, I'm sorry. That's much worse. Well, I love the way it's written too. It's window cleaner. Yeah, it's, it's written in like slang. And the shop's left open and Lefty just freaks out. He like throws a doorknob at the mirror that the message is written on. That's seven it's issues no bad luck, Lefty. <laughs> Maybe not even there. I feel like he's got plenty of bad luck already. Yeah. Lefty leads the cops to an old hovel where he used to live with his grandpa. He kicks down the door and finds the eldster drinking even more potato wine and swing, singing Wuzzles songs. Oh, no, he's got a brand new hop, hop, combine harvester. And there's room enough for two. <laughs> How are you finding the Wuzzles? Because they keep on cropping. Well, I mean, they, they did have a number one in the course of, of Space Spinner Reaction. So yeah. Combine Harvester was, uh, has, has been on the show. But I think before that, for some reason, I don't know why, in, in the 2080 forums, I forget how, but someone uh, posted like Cider Drinker on there as well, just because I think I was talking about stuff that's just like impenetrably English, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's definitely, I, I always love just the, the the weird things I've learned in the course of this podcast as I sort of get in, like, you know, I, I, I've made a bunch of English Twitter fan, or uh, uh, UK Twitter, uh, uh, Twitter like followers, and I follow them and stuff, and I get just like... You know, there's like videos about history that are all told in like a Scottish slang and stuff. I'm like, whoa, I'm like this, this is too much for me, you know, <laughs> too much for my Sunday morning head, you know. 
But um, so the, the cops go to collect grandpa, but he tosses a bottle at them. So instead they take him to a doctor who checks his dressing and agrees to clear things with the hospital so he doesn't have to stay there. Yes. Dr. Kazi, the Indian yeah. doctor. Okay, yeah, I thought it was an interesting moment of like weird, like multiculturalism in this story. You, you, you are aware what Kazi means in slang? I don't think so. No, Okay. <laughs> Let's Uh-oh. just leave okay. that one do, there. Do, do, do I, do I want to know? Okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, on his, so anyhow, uh, Granddad's going to stay at the uh, at the store, and Lefty goes heads back to the stadium. On the way to talk to the coach, he's braced by one of the older players, Jarvis, who tosses Lefty around and makes him do his laundry. Lefty's had enough and kicks a ball super hard into guard Jarvis's guts, knocking him into like a nearby like hot tub or uh, you know like a like a pool to kind of relax in. The trainer comes in and admonishes Jarvis and Lefty heads in to explain himself to the coach. Uh, The coach seems to accept the explanation, but then gets all angry. Like, oh, if you mess up again, you're out. Mm. Although I I do love the way how everyone's actually in the background in awe of Lefty. But when they speak to him, they, they, they try and just take him off his high horse and keep him on the level. It's actually quite nice seeing that through the story. Yeah, I agree because you know, I mean, he just scored like, or he's he, he had two points and two assists in his first game, like mm. in the first half last time, just like uh, amazing soccer level. So it's it's interesting. They're still like, yeah, like you you think you're good, but we could still k- kick you off at any time, even though they have no intention to. You know, it's it, it's an interesting way of dealing with it for sure. Definitely. Um, we um lefties uh, sorry. Uh, on the practice field, Lefty scores goals and just blows, you know, keeps blown goalies away and stuff as Jarvis makes plans with his fellow teammate to settle Lefty's hash in their next game. Next time, how will the game go for Lefty? <laughs> Probably pretty well. If the way things I mean, if it's like Lefty, then he'll score a lot of points, but there'll also be a lot of secondary problems. Oh, definitely. Like difficulty, I believe someone will be glassed, as I recall. Like again, uh, it's just sort of it, it's all this stuff that sort of what gets action canceled that are sort of going that's sort of going. Yeah, on. The, the the football violence was a, a big issue at the time, and I think look at Flifty's the only thing, the only strip that ever addressed the off-field antics of the crowd rather than uh, the Roy of the Rovers thinking mm-hmm. of the match. Mm. Anyway. I, I mean, I remember some of those things were dealt with sort of, you know, in a sci-fi setting by like Harlem Heroes and stuff like that. Oh, I mean, that they would have that, crowd interactions and stuff. That was always the thing they claimed with Judge Dredd. If you set it in the future and make the people he's blowing away mutants and robots, right. then it's fine. <laughs> sort of, if, you, if you have crowd violence in a futuristic setting that's obviously not today, it takes the edge off somewhat. Right. Yeah, I think I, I I think you're definitely right. It's sort of yeah, how they can play around with it for sure. Mm. Make them all mutants. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although that was a lesson learned from action. So yeah, we're indeed. Looking we're, at it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta do it the first way and then we forgot it. Like, all right, let's step back a little bit. Yeah. But speaking of keeping your profile low. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> let's let's get sneaky with Story Seven Blackjack. Still high profile lying low. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Writer John Wagner, artist Trigo, Blackjack Baron is being taken in for questioning by uh, for murder for of a show business agent. Believing he's going to be arrested for it, Jack makes a break for it, knocking out the cops in a revolving door. He trips his way out to the street and is caught by the members of his own band and rocker Gary Astral. 
They escape and head out to Reno and then do what you always do when you're on the run from the police, which is record a, a hit record. Man <laughs> on the run by a man on the run. I suppose hiding in plain sight works a lot better if you're actually blind. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Baby. There's, hiding in, there's hiding in plain sight and then there's like going on tour as the police are searching for you. That's just a little too plain, you know? Um, <laughs> the record's a big hit. And the actual murder, the one-eared Pirelli, thinks he's off scot-free because he thinks the cops are going after uh, 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 Jack for the murder. When, in fact, we learned that the cops have actually pretty much worked the whole story out and seem to be using Black Jack as bait to, to draw Pirelli out of hiding. Is it, isn't it ironic that, that in this, this older comic, the, the man, the cops, has already not actually automatically assumed that the gentleman of color is the villain? It's quite bizarre. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, I think it's also just that they they, 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 they they definitely know he's blind, and that kind of makes it hard to have killed somebody. I think. <laughs> oh, oh, that's but, that's the oh, you're being you're being censorous today. I'm sure. <laughs> but counterpoint, yeah, no, I think it's really great that like um, these cops are like, well, can't like listen, like there's just a random like like black dude, or there is this mobbed up one eared uh, thug. Like, oh, it's probably the thug. Like, whoa, that's unusual. <laughs> And I think it is, and it is in keeping that Blackjack gets in the situation immediately assumes that the cops have uh, have have a have accused him of the crime. So well, I got to get out of here no matter actually, what. Actually, you're you know? right. That's the the response is probably yeah. That explains the response a lot more, if not the how he goes about it. Yeah, no, I mean he's not laying like the the idea of laying low seems like a good one. The way Blackjack <laughs> goes about it is is maybe not. Because um, meanwhile, Blackjack is back in New York City, the scene of the crime, and it's heading to do a, a secret, a quote unquote secret concert in Carnegie <laughs> Hall. <laughs> Um, obviously, how, 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 do you, how do you get to Carnegie Hall, Conrad? Uh, I believe <laughs> go on the was, run. Uh, practice, 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 um, or run, run, run. Yeah, murder, murder, murder. <laughs> something like some some set of threes. I yeah, guess. That's right. Um, <laughs> words got out. Pirelli's got a plan. He's going to take out Black Jack for good. As Jack and his friends head out on stage and Jack starts to sing, a sniper in the balcony takes a shot, but he hits Black Jack's friend Cassie. Oh God, she's dead. <laughs> the gunman shoots the stage again and the audience goes crazy. They turn on the gunman and attack him, which I think is actually pretty cool for a crowd. I mean, usually it's just sort of generalized panic. But well, these guys are like, oh, that guy's shooting up the place. Let's charge him. And again, he doesn't use his gun on them for a cold calculating yeah. hitman. He seems very reticent about taking out it's these people who are coming for him. It's yeah. quite bizarre. <laughs> uh, Blackjack's rushed out of the theater and we learn that Cass isn't dead and she's being taken to the nearest hospital however the band uh, tries to go out in, in their sweet Rolls Royce but are instead driven off the road by Pirelli and his late model sedans oh no the goons drag Jack into a nearby building site and prepare to kill him, but Blackjack, never giving up, feels around on the ground and finds a heavy chain he then comes up swinging and takes out a bunch of the henchmen with that chain Oh, Blind Fury. You, do you reckon he could identify where they were from the noises they were making? i, I got to assume so. Because like, then that know, would he's... be the sound of a man working on chaining the gang. Gang. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Monstrous. <laughs> they don't get any better. <laughs> no, that's pretty solid. I'm, 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 I am down with it. Yeah, you know, we must never break the chain. Anyhow, um... That's a bad link. <laughs> Do, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best because, listen, suddenly um, a bunch of shapes appear in the, in, the, uh, in the building site and everybody's kung fu fighting. Fighting again. Oh. 
Oh, kung fu blaxploitation action. Always bringing it back around to the start when Jack was learning uh, kung fu and honing his senses. It's Villainous Jack's. Doctor- Oh, sorry. Oh, good. I was going to say, it's a, it's Jack's trainer, Yank, a bunch of dudes in the martial arts center. Just a lot of uh, jump kicks and chops going on here. Uh, the cops soon ar- get word of this melee and arrive to break it up, but that's Jack's cue to scram. <laughs> Villainous Dr. Wu, you done save the day now. <laughs> Make you pay, evil Dr. Wu. <laughs> no match for kung fu treachery. Uh, <laughs> <Jack>. <laughs> Jack escapes down an alley as the cops cool things down and arrest Pirelli for murder. Pirelli tries to pin it on Jack, and the cops are like, come on, buddy. Like, we just want to get some details from Jack. We know you did it. There's all this evidence. Seeing no option, Pirelli pulls a gun. He shoots the cops, including the chief of police, and escapes. This does not seem like a long-term plan. (laughs) (laughs) He wants to settle Jack's hash before he leaves town and figures Jack is heading back to his old apartment, which they are. When Jack and and Yank arrive, they find Pirelli and one of his goons waiting for them. Yank is taken out quickly, but Blackjack pulls out some sweet jump kicks and judo throws on the goon and is able to throw him out of a window from 30 stories up. Should have seen that coming. Hey, you can't see it coming. He's got that blind kung fu. Uh, There is a line in there where they go, look out, lefty. (laughs) Self-referential coffee. It's all coming back. Uh, Jack grapples Pirelli and is about to throw him out the window too when Yank calls him off. The cops are on their way. That settled, we cut to the hospital where Cass is recovering, and she's met Dr. Bertil Jansen, doctor that could possibly save Jack's eyes. They shake hands, and it looks like Jack might be on his way to regaining his sight and his boxing title, because once your sight has been miraculously cured, you better get back into the combat sport that made you lose your sight in the first place. <laughs> the end of Blackjack! It's all over, Grant Grover. <laughs> but next time... I don't think no. Uh, I, I I believe Blackjack. It, th- this is it for Blackjack. It, oh yeah, come yeah. back later in uh, in like in a uh, in censored action. Next time we've got a new thrill where kids are okay. Where kids rule. Okay. Okay. That's mm. uh, beginning of the end. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of people dying terribly, it's story eight. Dredger. Let's just wind down into the final <laughs> It's. It's so crazy, Dredger being at the end because it's such a, it's such, it's always my warm up comic. So, like, this one time where it's at the end, it's like, whoa, this is weird. I don't know if I like this. Uh, written by Kevin Gosnell. It's Dredger! Back of the comics this time. And bad time for the crew, as apparently they've been captured in northern Russia and Breed is being tortured as Dredger's forced to look on. I love these in medias res uh, Dredgers where they're just being captured and are about to be killed or mid torture. Oh, it's a, good, it's, it's a good dropping off point, although I, I, I find Dredger's comment you'll find the amount of Breed's suffering I can take is fairly high, Major. <laughs> oh, that's so Dredger. <laughs> doesn't care who'd be, who'd be breed Jeez. yeah no man breed's the worst <laughs> uh yeah they're, they're hidden breed with electroshocks and breed's about to break he eventually says they're there to liquidate the local head of intelligence colonel Bor- borosnovich um and uh and he, you know in this arctic base that they're at and dredger yells at him for being weak and giving up the goose you know like ah breed <laughs> oh, the, breed. The, the colonel himself comes in and compliments the lady torturer, Major Kolb. She's an ice queen. When Dredger springs into action, he grabs a glass beaker and breaks it over a soldier's head and uses the broken glass to hold the colonel hostage. 
The boys are able to escape and steal a plane with breed still just like in pants, like not or trousers, I should say, not wearing any shirt. They, yeah, uh, Green's Gradual, Topless and Siberia, suck on that. <laughs> it's a lot of, <laughs> lot of, lot of underdressed guys in cold weather. This, this, uh, this, uh, this episode of Space Spinner Reactions for the ladies, I suppose. <laughs> well, maybe not because. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. Actually, they, uh, they, they pile into a plane and escape. Um, they shoot the colonel as they go to sort of wounding him. The Russians give chase. After flying for 40 minutes, the boys land on a frozen lake and blow up the plane. Which is pretty cool. Breed warms himself on the flames of the plane <laughs> as the Russian troops arrive, led by Major Kolb. But oh no! They didn't realize that they landed on a frozen lake. And suddenly, a huge submarine bursts out from under the water. Oh, it's cool. <laughs> taking, taking all the Russian troops with it. That's right. At his mercy, Major Kolb taunts Dredger, saying that he failed to kill the colonel. But Dredger, being real awesome, just sort of holding AK-47 on uh, on Kolb here in the, in the in the shadow of the submarine, says that the colonel was actually a double agent, and this whole mission was just to reestablish his cover. He'll be a national hero, and then he shoots her right in the face. Dredger does lady murder. Does it a fair amount, yeah. yeah. A fitting end for an ice maiden, eh, Breed? And Breed's sitting there going, ah! <laughs> Breed's having a rough day. You know, he's <laughs> tortured and he's cold. Then just a lot of things happen at once. No one told him about this submarine, you know? <laughs> anyway, this, you know, uh, now moving to slightly more questionable things. Uh, we're Dredger's back in the front of the comic as we head to the acid gardens of Tainan, where... Yes. <laughs> We see a man dodging several fiendish traps, including a fountain full of acid and a big pit of spikes, mm-hmm. only to be killed by a hail of deadly darts with anticoagulant uh, quoted on them. <laughs> We're off the uh, Chinese coast where Dredger and Breed are trying to ransom a captured British businessman, and they're just checking in on lo- out a uh, local factor, Wee Len, Len Wan's uh, Garden of Death, just kind of for fun, I guess. Yeah, Bridge is kind of gardening. Yeah, he's, he's Blood interested. Blood and bone. I like how uh, how uh, Wee Len Wan says, like, no one ever falls to the pit of spikes, you know. Like, ah, uh, I just want someone to go in there someday, you know. Um, yeah, it's Chekhov's he, pit of spikes, just just over there. Just, that's just, the best, just best right there. Chekhov's thing ever, for sure. Um, <laughs> So the agents go to make the make the switch uh, uh, money for um, the ransomee. But when they get there, the businessman, Frisbee, t- takes the escalator up to meet them with the bag of money going down the escalator. But partway through, Dredger goes crazy, as he usually does. He shoots <laughs> Frisbee, and then he and Breed gun down the kidnappers. Because it looks like this guy, Frisbee, is missing some fingers, and that means he's a double. Oh. Uh, this, this isn't the first time the villain's given Dredger the finger. That's <sighs> true. <laughs> Yeah, luckily, uh, luckily, Dredger's always to get Bre- gets Bree to knuckle under and follow his uh, follow his plans. Um, <laughs> you should put. You're gonna need to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just stop applying thumb screws with puns. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah, whatever. Digital te- digital recording technology. I, I got nothing. Uh, so the boys grab the ransom money. They head back to Wee Len Wan's place. Because they realize that he's probably got to do with all this. It was, a, it was a setup all along. They sneak in, but a guard hits a button and an alarm sounds. They're quickly captured. And again, yeah, we Len Wan captured, fri- kidnapped Frisbee. And indeed, Frisbee was probably that guy that was running through the acid garden the first at the start of the comic. Mm-hmm. 
Things look bad, but then Dredger springs into action. He, uh, he uses a nearby dish to spray his captures with acid from the fountain, and then pushes Wen into the pit of spikes. Oh, he died by his own traps. A fitting end, eh, Breed? <laughs> How very Dredger. Now, a question for you. Yeah. Are these two stories both Bond references? Because uh, Major Klob in uh, From Russia With Love, you've got Major Klebb, or uh, Rosa Klebb who's the, the, the Smirsh major killer person. Right. And um, The Garden of Death is the, the original book version of You Only Live Twice. Although they've been around since Fu Manchu invented that. But yeah. just, just two possible Bond links for those stories. I would I say thought. 100%. Yeah. Like, mm. you know, like they are, they are not above uh, borrowing some heavy Bond stuff for, um, for Dredger, you know. <laughs> it's very much like sort of the basic, um, basic plots of this stuff. Yes. Yes. Finally, Speaking of You Only Live Twice... Indeed. Uh, <laughs> Breed is headed to an airstrip in the Persian Gulf state of uh, uh, Bargapur, accompanied by the coffin of Dredger. Oh, he's dead. Yeah, don't read the strap line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Earlier, the boys were observing a nuclear power station in this Middle Eastern nation, preparing to rescue a British scientist held there. Um, when they get attacked by, when, uh, sorry, when Dredger just guns down an Arab woman that turns out to be a man about to stab them with an assassin's knife, it's very Austin Powers. You know, that's not a woman, that's a man. Bearded lady murder. Indeed. Uh, later, the boys are prepared to assault the power station. The plan is to explode an oil derrick, then sneak in. The scientist looks a lot like Dredger, so the plan is to, is to swap Dredger for the scientist. Dredger will find his way out eventually. Yeah, just you know, Dredger sets fire to the oil field. You know, environmental disasters are dirty poor, and you don't get much dirtier than Dredger. Absolutely. I, mean, I can't think of listen. anything worse he could do for the environment. Oh, hang on. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I was going to say... <laughs> Yeah, they, they blow up a nearby oil derrick as a diversion and head in. But inside this power station, the local secret police get the drop on our heroes. And Dredger, rather than tortured, takes a cyanide capsule and dies. The and just secret po- <laughs> Yeah, the secret police, after stabbing the body a couple <laughs> once to make sure that he's actually dead, are actually pretty impressed by the ballsiness of this. Like, they respect somebody that just uh, kills himself rather than be tortured. So they let Breed go and take Dredger's body back to England, but aboard the plane. Breed hears some noises coming from inside the coffin and opens it, and inside is the scientist. Although zombie Dredger would have been equally cool. <laughs> Ooh, that's my that's my that's my fondest dream. Um, <laughs> Dredger has faked his own death, taking an almond pill instead of cyanide, and he's still masquerading as a scientist inside the power station. He's got unfinished business, and then that nuclear power station explodes. Good old Dredger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, listen. Theoretically, they could have just destroyed the building and the machinery without actually causing there to be fallout or something like that. Like this well, doesn't this doesn't have to be a massive disaster. When but it say, probably is, knowing Dredger. <laughs> when they say Dredger plays dirty, you're not expecting dirty bomb. You know, I kind I, I feel like I, I'm uh, it's in the wheelhouse. I guess I it, it, it's interesting. The, 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 the vaguely honourable villain for a Dredger story to allow Breed to go and at least he's in the building at the time doesn't seem to yeah. die. But I wonder if he's in on it, because I don't see quite how Dredger could have done the switcheroo, but he's Dredger! You'd think they'd also, like, check the pulse as, as well as, like, stab him once, but yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I think stabbing once is a pretty good idea. 
Maybe. But like, you know, it's very like, listen, there's wheels within wheels in this Cold War spy game. You know, we can't we can't think to understand it. You know, that's 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 very true. Quadruple (laughs) agents and uh, like, you know, crazy Russian torture ladies and stuff. It's bad. It's it's all good times. And and, uh, Dredger, even though he plays dirty, boy, does he plan ahead. Oh yeah, well that that's part of playing dirty. You got to have all these things ready. You got to you you, you got to carry that acid proof plate around with you just in case there's an acid fountain. You know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, but so with that, Dave from Where Eagles Dare, we've completed all the stories for these issues of action. What an explosive ending! Everything Always. is better with a big bang. Oh, oh, that's that's my life story. Um, and with that said. <laughs> I have one question for you, which were what were your top and bottom stories? Oh, it's hard. It's hard. I, normally it would be Dredger, but I, I'm just getting this feel that Dredger is... Okay, Dredger's an evil Machiavellian mastermind, and mm. Breed is always surprised by this. And while Dredger's awesome, it's always consistently awesome. So I think I'm probably going to give it to... I'd have to say look out for Lefty. Things oh, are nice. happening. Things are happening, yeah. and things are changing, and, and Lefty's... Doing different things every week, and granted, it's the same story, but there's there's no other story at the moment in action like this. So that's mm-hmm. that's that's my feel. I, I enjoyed looked at. Yeah, and, it, yeah. I, I think it is really interesting how when action started, there were like three sports stories, um, or yeah, or at least two. There was you know some sort of like like low level sports stories. And now we, and and now we've just got one, as, mm. and, and everything else is just super violent. It's sort of an interesting way the, the comic has evolved, I guess. Well, not only that, but look out for Lefty. Okay, there is sporting action, but it's it's not like uh, an eagle. You'd have Thunderbolt and Stokey, where a game would go on for three or four weeks, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you'd sort of okay, one goal down, and I'll see you next Monday. Right. Whereas look out for Lefty. It's 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 it, it's okay. Two shots, pass the ball, a bit tired. It's done. Yeah, that's yeah. that. That's fair. Yeah, they do kind of keep the game the game time short, which is mm. can be appreciated for sure. Yeah. As as for the low light, I, well, it, it's it's not that it's bad. It's just not as good as everything else. Um, and even with the kung fu treachery, I've got to say it's it's. I'm happy to see blackjack out the door, but mainly because mm. I know what it's getting replaced with. So indeed. <laughs> <laughs> How about I said, yeah. I mean, um, so I'll, I'll say ooh. I'll say for my, I'll, I'll start with my bottom, and I'll say uh, Hell's Highway this time. Mm-hmm. I'm still like, you know, Hell's Highway says this was a better Hell's Highway, I guess. I do mm. kind of like like the, the the burning grass they got to drive through and stuff like that. And I like the idea of them adding some more stories and like having to deal with this gang war and stuff. But I don't know. It just feels like it just they, feels they, kind of plain tr- in comparison to the rest of these stories. I guess they're just trucking know. along. Yeah, I mean that's a that's that that's a solid pun, but it's also kind of true for the story. Yeah. Like I feel like it's always the same kind of thing over and over again, and mm. it just doesn't reach. And unlike Dredger, which is also can also be the same thing over and over again, it doesn't reach those levels of ultraviolence mm-hmm. that makes mm-hmm. Dredger such a standout, you know. Um, and for my top, I'm gonna say Hookjaw, the old standby. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah. it's hard not to pick it. Um, Gi- giant and- sharks, explosions, earthquakes. <laughs> it just really feels like, just in the same way, like you know, we're, we're, we're kind of getting to the end of this hook of the second Hookjaw story as well, mm-hmm. and just like the first one, it just really feels like the apocalypse is coming for Hookjaw. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a similar thing to Flesh, I guess, um, with the, in these stories where, besides just the animal killing things, there's so many other things happening as well. It just makes it feel like. You know, you don't know how anybody can survive, and you start to get the sense that oh, maybe no one is going to survive, which is a really like exciting thing to happen. Uh, yeah, and action is the the comic where that could feasibly happen. 
Yeah, we're just there's no survivors. We're yeah. just like the the bad guys or the the animals win completely. I mean, mm. the, the animals are the good guy in Hookshaw, of course, but still, it's a. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's it's awesome. Yes, yeah, so that's that, that's my top for sure. Awesome. All right, all right. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com dot or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter at spacespinner two k. Everything else will be spacespinner two thousand. We should be there. Dave, yes, sir. Just look at that. Get it all one. Do yeah. it real fast. I've done it like four hundred times now. But Dave, <laughs> where can we find Where Eagles Dare? Uh, Eagles Dare. Where Eagles Dare is on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. We have a Facebook page for a sort of local community where we post the images of all the stuff we're talking about in possibly the worst radio format ever. We have a Twitter account at SofaGeddon, which is sort of our, our wider brand. And we have a WordPress page at uh, SofaGeddon at WordPress.com. And you can email us at SofaGeddon at gmail.com. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I... Uh... Like I said last time, I definitely recommend it. Hey, you can find me on the Facebook page. I'm on there. I got some. Someone said, uh, "Like, oh, Conrad, I've seen your actual face. You look nothing like I uh, expected," which is like weird. I don't know, but anyhow, well, <laughs> come you, back. You wouldn't expect I was a woman, would you? Ooh, <laughs> exciting! I think everybody's gonna be real excited when they find out that that a fox is just a figment of my imagination, made flesh. But uh, <laughs> come back next time as the as the Grudge War concludes. Rick Mason has a terrible day, and we'll get two new stories. The Probationer and Kids Rule OK. Boy. Get Mary Whitehouse on the phone because the most controversial cover in British comics is coming next week. Yes! And until then, I'm Conrad, they're Dave, and we are Space Spinner Reaction. Splendid for a freak! <laughs>